A good friend of mine once said to me, there's a fraud for everyone. It's got nothing to do with intelligent awareness or knowledge. If a scammer knows you and research you, they will be able to find a fraud that is specific to you that you would actually fall for. Welcome to The Laundry, the podcast connecting AML, compliance and financial crime to the real world. I'm your host, Marit, and in this episode, we are asking, can we kill the scam call for good? You receive a call. Your account has been compromised. You need to move all your funds to a different secure account. The person on the other end is from your bank and ready to help out if you just give them all your banking information. Hello, hello? The reason of this call is to inform you that IRS is filing lawsuits against you. If you want to resolve the matter outside of the courthouse, then you have to pay the outstanding amount, which is £1,693 to the government. Sorry, where are you calling from? The fraud prevention team. Right, so which bank are you calling from? HSBC Fraud Detection Team. So at this point of time, you have only two options. Your first option is to go to court and fight the case. In case if you're found guilty, you have to pay a penalty fine of £19,000 and a freeze of two years. We don't take incoming calls okay. to this department at all. Give me another number where I can contact HSBC. I know how you criminals work. You're the person who should be arrested. Goodbye. Money makes a world go round. We've all seen this situation play out, whether to ourselves, family members or friends. The scam call is a universal problem with 10 billion stolen from senior citizens in the US in 2022, and 45 million UK citizens receiving texts or calls in the space of three months. So, can this hugely lucrative scam industry be stopped? In today's episode, I'm joined by some great guests to discuss. How much of an issue are scam calls and texts for financial services? What are the biggest challenges in combating them? And can we ever truly kill the scam call for good? To dive into this topic, I'm here with Veronica Glab, Head of Partnerships, Innovate Finance. Welcome to The Laundry, Veronica. Can you briefly remind our listeners about you and your area of expertise? Yeah, of course. And thank you for having me. Uh, so I'm Head of Partnerships and Investment Lead at Innovate Finance, which is the membership and advocacy body for fintech coming in and out of the UK. And I wear two hats at the organization. One, I head up our partnership strategy to engage new members across fintech, financial services and SaaS. And second, I head up our investment report, which tracks all venture activity into global fintech and parses out the key headlines and big emerging trends across different fintech verticals. So new verticals of innovation and the direction of travel across different global markets, as well as stages of investment. So that's me in a nutshell. I'm also joined by Nira Jones, consultant and panel member, payment systems regulator. Nira, welcome to The Laundry. What should our listeners know about you, your work, and the payment systems regulator? Delighted to be here, Mary. So I'm an independent consultant, as you said. I've uh, been independent since about 2014. I've worked in banking and financial services uh, all of my career, really, and uh, latterly mostly in in payments. Uh, So I advise organizations, uh, large, small, corporate, fintechs, uh, as well as uh, law firms, technology firms. Uh, but I'm particularly proud to be uh, an independent panel member 
for the UK payment systems regulator, uh, uh, whom I think is a, is a very progressive regulator in the world of uh, uh, regulations. And uh, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that uh, in a minute, given the, the very interesting topic that we're going to debate. So I won't bore you with my bio anymore. My LinkedIn profile is up to date and I'm delighted to make new connections. Good to know. Yesterday, I watched a recording of a scam call happening. So it was staged, but it was, uh, you know, an exemplified how it's actually been done. And it's hor- it's horrible to watch someone being scammed in a way, but it's so many clever ways of doing it. You know, they don't start off with like, hey, logging to your bank account. You get, hey, there is suspicious activity going. Can you confirm your personal ID number? Uh, can you confirm which bank you are in? oh, now it's really, really urgent. You need to take action now. And they're stressing up the victim so much that I can really understand that in the moment, you just think you're doing the right thing. Whereas, of course, when you're watching, you're like, no, don't don't fall for it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of tricky methods that are being used. And it ha- that was a, an example in Norway, but this is happening all over the world. So how big of an issue is this and especially like in the UK to be specific how big of an issue it is it's of it's of course really really big but uh, to go back to your question can we kill the scam call well the simple answer is no because scams have been around since the 1800 if not if not before they were just different now we have different type of scams that are led by technology. And in the scenario we described just earlier, the criminals or the fraudsters essentially pry on human emotions. Whatever those emotions might be, it might be pride, it might be shame, it might be love, it might be anything. And those powerful human emotions will actually drive what uh, what the, the scammies, so to speak, will, will do. And, and scammers have been the same. They have the same MO time and time again for hundreds and hundreds of years. They pry on people's emotions. And whether the scams are technology-led or not, they will always happen. They will just be different and led by technology. Ten years ago, you wouldn't have dreamt of hearing about investment scams. But now you do. You hear about crypto scams. They weren't there 10 years ago. They are here now. Conversely, uh, other scams have disappeared. And the reason behind that is because on the main, the law is there for the lawful. Criminals are not bound by laws and they can react very quickly. They can understand and study ecosystems until they find loopholes and they can react very quickly. Whereas normal people, organizations, essentially are banned by regulation and they have to operate within a predefined context. Scams have, scammers haven't got those constraints. That's a very good point. And uh, that scam's been around for f- since the dawn of times and uh, probably will as well. But the scam call that we are discussing now, so Veronica, maybe you could put some numbers to it. How, how much are we talking about for the UK? Well, fraud is actually 40% of all UK crime. 
And at the same time, it's also less than 1% of where all the police resources goes um, is into stopping fraud. So that should give you a, a good picture there. And unfortunately, in the UK, we do have one of the highest global rates of consumer fraud, which um, in the UK, we try to be number one at many, many things, but fraud is certainly not one of them. And that's actually one of the areas where the fintech sector is the most keen to clamp down on. So I saw in the news, you know, talking about scam calls that Monzo had implemented this feature where if the bank calls you, you can just log into the app and see if the bank actually is call you as a measure to prevent, you know, people from falling, uh, falling for scam calls. And I thought that was a quite a nifty, nifty feature and smart way to use technology. I don't know how you think about, do you think this will help eliminate the scam call? For me, I think it's, it depends on consumer preferences. So if, we, if we're talking about the UK, what we have to look at is how many people actually use the phone. When you actually consider more or less across the UK, it's the death of the landline. Everybody use, uses mobile phones. Everybody uses email, chat, social media to conduct their lives. So when we talk about scam calls, um, it is a very, very nice feature for Monzo. They can do that because they are a technology-led organization, as indeed are most of the digital banks. Um, so it's easy for them to do that. Nice feature, no different to what any other bank or incumbent bank would actually be doing when you actually log into your bank account and you get all of these messages before you can actually do something. So they're all trying to communicate in their own way. Nice feature, but you have to see the reverse of the coin as well, because when you look at preventing scam calls, and when you walk to also suddenly realize a couple of days ago, at more or less at the same time as you saw that article, uh, Monzo and Starling are actually in the top banks in terms of not reimbursing APP scams uh, uh, for their customers. Courses for courses, you have to look at the whole picture. Texts are compromised. There's so many scam texts sent out. The phone, like the mobile network is compromised. Scammers call. Email is compromised. Oh, I wish just Signal could sell us their source code and we could just implement communication in our app because then the only way for us to contact our customers is through the app on a secure line that is not compromised. So that was also a feature that was uh, proposed by someone uh, in the industry. I don't know how you think about that, uh, Veronica. Yeah, I mean... What I can definitely say is that fintechs are certainly innovating new product features to uh, either stop or prevent fraud from taking place on their platforms. But I think what's also important to consider is that the majority of these scams actually originate from third-party providers or social media, not from the fintechs themselves. So it really requires a much more holistic solution that hopefully will Talk about a little more throughout this conversation. So, you know, you name Monzo, you name Starling, but I think fintechs collectively where they struggle is um, in having a disproportionate burden of responsibility placed on what is a comparatively small business to the likes of Meta or a multinational, you know, advertising platform where a lot of these scams originate. So, the solution overall, as I say, has to be a lot more holistic other than just, you know, recompensating something that um, happened at the point of sale within your platform. Talking about this societal um, responsibility, because that's a, that's an interesting topic. And 
that, uh, you know, a lot of large players, you know, some of them take it more seriously than others and, of course, have the muscles to do so. I was just wondering, Nira, with your experience in payments, the payments industry, do you feel the Giants Visa and MasterCard are living up to, you know, the responsibility that perhaps they should? Are they doing enough to blacklist, uh, you know, different merchants or, you know, these kinds of things that banks and payments provider report in that like, hey, this is someone who has committed fraud. Well, that's an interesting point you, you make, Marit, because uh, uh, when when we look at uh, ecosystems in payments more particularly, so you have the visas and MasterCards and the card schemes of the, the global card schemes of this world. And then you have the bank payment ecosystem, which are two completely different infrastructures. So when we look at the hard payment ecosystem, our visa and MasterCard doing enough and are they investing enough into preventing scams and fraud? I would say when I compare that to the other ecosystems, I would say yes, they are. And actually they're far more advanced than we are on the other rights, most particularly the, the bank rights and certainly uh, uh, definitely more than the than the decentralized rights. So are they doing enough? Yes, absolutely. Could the other rights learn from Visa and MasterCard? Absolutely they could. Because after all, faster payments, real-time payments, open banking is relatively new compared to the cards ecosystem where the processes have been in place for more than 60 years. So yes, absolutely. I think we should perhaps look at the, how, how the, the, the other payment rails actually should evolve and perhaps uh, take uh, uh, lessons from, uh, from the card rails, in my opinion. For example, if you look at the card rails, we are all very familiar with what is called the chargeback process in terms of fraud reimbursement. If you're a cardholder, you know very well if you're unhappy with a purchase or if it's fraudulent or if the retailer has not fulfilled their promise in whatever way, then you can always contact your card issuer and essentially say, please lodge a chargeback because I dispute this purchase. And you know that process is going to work. Conversely, on the bank rate, which is one of the topics of today's discussion, we have authorized push payment fraud. The processes are still immature, which is why we're still talking about things like reimbursement, who's going to do it, where's the liability, and so on and so forth. And the, the UK payment systems regulator is actually quite progressive uh, in their approach worldwide. I mean, and worldwide geography should actually learn from uh, from the PSR in the way they're actually up approaching APP fraud uh, because that area is still immature compared to how it is dealt with on the card, right? It makes a world go round. Can't get enough of the laundry? Not only are we giving you a weekly podcast dishing out insights and learnings on the biggest topics in AML and compliance, but now we have our very own newsletter. Fresh Laundry with me, Marit, is a place for hot takes, looks behind the scenes on the latest episodes and the best recommendations in news, articles, podcasts, and more. Find the link in the episode description. Let's clean up your inbox with some fresh laundry. Let's talk a little bit more about the regulations. So Nero, the payment system regulator, has looked at the APP fraud for a number of banks recently, UK banks. So how much of an issue is that for them? That is a huge issue. Rightly so, a couple of years ago, a number of UK banks and, and banks are, are doing a lot. I know we love to hate the banks, but they're actually putting a lot of investment uh, 
into this. And it is a big issue, but rightly so. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, a number of uh, UK banks actually said, okay, you're targeting us in terms of, you know, stopping LPP fraud and protecting the consumers at large. And now we have the new consumer duty bill and all those good things that uh, are aiming to ensure uh, uh, good outcomes for cons- consumers. But what a number of UK banks said is like you're targeting us as in the sending organization where the payment is going to originate from. But at the end of the day, the payment will arrive somewhere else, which is another bank account, which is either a fraudulent account or a mule account, but nevertheless, an account that is receiving money that is going to be used for fraudulent purposes. And what the banks are said, are you concentrating on us? What about these? But also, most of the scams, to, to Veronica's point earlier on, originate on things like social media and other platforms. So, And those entities, so the social media, the big techs of this world, the telecoms operator of this world, are actually not part of financial services regulations per se, other than on a voluntary or code of conduct basis rather than regulations per se. And uh, so it's about, as Veronica said earlier, looking at it in a holistic fashion. You can't just plug one hole because there are many holes to be plugged. And I think this kind of a place to the fact that, you know, scams, it's such like a omnipresent problem. And actually the head of the FYU in Norway, he said in the newspaper that, you know, fraud and the laundering of the fraudulent money, it's a question about national security because it touches upon this critical piece of our society, which is trust, which is so important in our Western democracy. And if that is deteriorated, like you can't put an economic value to it almost because it's so important. So Veronica, how do you think about, you know, the bigger picture here, the the trust issue? How is this, how is this affecting uh, people in our society? I mean, the, it's a really multi-layered part of it, right? Um, you know, if you just look at the consumer end and look at, at consumers losing money or not being able to get reimbursed um, when they've been taken advantage of, you know, that's particularly hurtful when we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Because, you know, a a 50 pound fee to someone, um, to an individual consumer can actually mean a lot. You know, that can really, really make a difference to a consumer. But as that starts to happen collectively, when 40% 40% of all UK crime is fraud related. Um, that's, you know, that's massive. It, it starts to really erode trust in fi- fintechs and financial institutions. And, you know, even in the government and the regulators who are supposed to be there to protect the consumer. But for the service providers themselves, that has a knock on effect because it will result in uh, customer attrition. And as fintechs and even financial incumbents, you know, if they are bogged down just at the, you know, consistently trying to recompensate victims of fraud and just recompensate, recompensate, recompensate without a conversation at the cross industry level, without a conversation uh, with the regulators as well. You know, we might start to see an increased regulatory burden that ultimately might stymie innovation. 
And that innovation is supposed to be for the consumer. It's not for entrepreneurs to just enrich themselves. These are B2C financial products that are meant to make, you know, financial services more accessible and more friendly. So, you know, it's a really, really multi-layered approach. And that's why it's uh, very important to tackle it as soon as possible. Again, at that cross-industry level with open government, um, open dialogues with uh, with the regulators. I've also so you know very uh, it's yeah complex problem, and here telecom providers also can help with scam calls and you know stopping stopping texts, stopping numbers. And I see a lot of them are actually now starting to provide this as an additional service that they charge for as well. So I guess. Uh, many different industries can come together and help solve this. I don't even think it's an issue of industries being able to come together, but I think it's imperative for them to do so. Um, again, because the majority of these scams do originate at third-party providers. So um, it's only when you have that dialogue between these industries and then with the regulator that we can come to a workable solution. I also think an aspect that hasn't been covered that much and when it comes to fraud, it's like the psychological aspect of it and the shame of being defrauded and uh, that human cost there. And uh, I've spoken to several people and especially maybe not, you know, especially for, you know, the romance fraud and even more so the investment fraud where you might have like your whole life savings just disappeared. It's such a shameful and traumatic experience and a lot of people really really suffer afterwards and that is also something i don't think has been spoken enough about because it's a big human cost here on the other side of those huge numbers absolutely because it is um you know a, a, a lot of these criminals really prey on what you said are the basic human emotions naira is that need for belonging uh the need for security and Again, just keeping in mind the kind of unprecedented economic times that we have been in in the last three years, um, you know, th these are very basic human reactions and to be shamed for falling for a scam um, can certainly result in a lot of underreporting um, of how some of these crimes have happened. You know, I... I work in the fintech industry, so I consider myself to be at least relatively financially literate. But, you know, I've also gotten those text messages of you have a parcel waiting for you at Royal Mail. You need to pay $2.99 to be able to claim that parcel. And, you know, I look at this text and I'm like, OK, well, you know what? I'm. I've lived in this country for only a handful of years. Maybe this is just something that you do in the UK, you know, as a service fee or a convenience fee. Right. That you know, it's preying on on the basic vulnerabilities of someone, which it can be as something as simple as targeting the right person at the right time. Someone who's just not native to that country and doesn't know how things are done, is not fluent in the language, uh, maybe is a little bit new to mobile phone technology, like some older generations might be, or even Gen Z for that matter, when they're just getting to that age of you know interacting with their mobiles all the time. You know, these are. We're incredibly vulnerable all the time, um, but we do get shamed for it. I've also spoken to quite a few banks who are now hiring psychologists and a team, like a support team to actually not just, you know, customer service, but to really help the humans, you know, on the other side of this. So I've seen that, like, that's really, um, you know, at least positive in the sense that these institutions are living up to their societal uh, responsibility and so forth. But 
you know, talking about scam calls and we cannot not talk about AI. So how do we think this will be in the future now that all the criminals have ChatGPT and Dolly and all these tools? Well, it's a natural evolution of technology. So yes, criminal, we have AI and bots. You can all also imagine that we as consumers will have our own bot avatars that act on our behalf. So maybe that technologically speaking, uh, since the, the our, our bot avatar that's using AI to source the best financial service or whatever on our behalf, uh, we'll be able to de detect scams better than the, than we actually uh, than we actually can. It's it's kind of a natural evolution. A good friend of mine once said to me, "There, there's a fraud for everyone." So it's got nothing to do with intelligent awareness or knowledge. If a scammer knows you and research you, they will be able to find a fraud that is specific to you that you would actually fall for. And and that's really interesting what you just said, Marit, about um, banks hiring psychologists. And I think that is extremely important because you're going to see an evolution of customer service to understand people. If if I if I loop it back to to what we're talking about in terms of APP scams uh, and uh, the definition of how one might be vulnerable. I think I'm a fairly strong person. I'm, I am vulnerable in some some areas. And if you touch on them, maybe there's a, a, a typical uh, fraud for me that I would absolutely fall for. But how does a bank determine what is vulnerable? And you might be vulnerable at one point and not at another point. And then we start talking about excess reimbursement and so on and so forth. So I don't think the implications have been uh, have been examined and, and researched as yet because that's very, very tricky. I mean, who knows? You put an excess on and you have a definition of vulnerable of customers that need to be reimbursed for fraud because they were in a particular vulnerable situation, despite the fact that we haven't really defined what vulnerable means. But does that mean a new wave of de-risking and then banks suddenly actually saying, well, actually, when some people will apply for a bank account, I will do so much psychological analysis on them that maybe they present too much of a risk for me of them being vulnerable, that I will actually refuse financial services because I know what the liability might be at some point in time. It happens cyclically. So hiring uh, psychologists and understanding all of this and having very clear definition as to what we mean but also evolving it over time because nothing is static will actually absolutely keep alongside all of the other things that we that we talked about so, so far in terms of uh, looking at it in a holistic fashion and cooperating between government and public private sector and big tech and all of these things. What do you think, uh, Veronica, about uh, the future of scam calls now that AI is in the mix? Well, you know what? I'm starting to think now that it might almost be like... Um a little bit of a space race you know you're gonna have uh you know uh you're gonna have a lot of uh fraudulent people with uh very nefarious intentions who will be leveraging new technologies and ai and machine learning to make themselves you know to disguise themselves better to better prey more intelligently on human beings basic vulnerabilities and on the other hand, you're also going to have the innovators, the fintechs for good or the compliance services that make fraud detection and KYC processes easier and more efficient. 
So we've actually already seen this year, um, this past year, uh, quite a big jump in the investment into AI and machine learning both. So hopefully those are tools that will be leveraged for good. We've covered a lot of different grounds related to scam calls, you know, how it's done, uh, how technology is now compromised, text, phone, email, you know, it goes through all those channels, the psychological aspect, the emotional aspect uh, and personal tragedies behind it, AI. But if we can go back to the first question, is there any way that we can kill the scam call for good? I'm going to let you start, Nira. So I don't think so. Because the scam call today is the ones we know about. Criminals will continue to innovate and will continue to evolve. So we'll still have them. It'll get better, but they'll find loopholes because that's the nature of the beast. Technology evolves at such a rapid pace that criminals will find new ways of scamming people. It's human nature. So can we eliminate it? No. Can we curb the... The frauds we know about, yes, absolutely, we can over time. And we've seen that, you know, time and time again over the years. So we might very well eradicate IPP fraud in a few years' time. But who knows what will come in a few years' time in terms of another scam call that we haven't thought about. What do you think, Veronica? Can we kill the scam call for good? Oh, I think we might be able to kill the scam call, but who knows if we'll be able to kill the scam text message or the scam DM on social media or, you know, as Nira said, as technology evolves, there will be another, always another channel for fraudsters to try to get in touch with the consumer. But I do think there's a few things that we can always do to keep up to combat scams and also to protect ourselves. And I know I've hammered down on this in in this episode already, but absolutely having that cross-industry dialogue with the regulators to stop it before it starts, to continue to support innovation and new products that might help financial services providers protect their own consumers. And I think there's something to be said about um, improving the sort of financial literacy for civil society as well. To Veronica's point, uh, uh, cross-industry cooperation, I think another aspect that is totally fundamental in combating scams in general and scam calls in particular is communications. There is never enough communications to consumers at large. The more we do, the better. I'd like to see more ads on TV. I'd like to see banners on social media and all of these things. And other banks do that on their own platforms. But communication is absolutely crucial. I agree. But I also just want to highlight the flip side of that coin, because if we go out to our society and just like massively communicate, hey, there are fraudsters everywhere. You should be afraid of anyone who contacts you might be a fraud. Be aware. It's again back to this the trust, which is the fundamental fabric of our Western democracy, if that starts to fall apart, then, I mean, you can't really put an economic value to that as well. So I just see, you know, just want to highlight the flip side of the coin and also why this is um, scams are a matter of national security, because it truly is at this point. So if we were to take this topic one step further and uh, discuss it in another episode of The Laundry, who do you think we should be speaking to about? Who do you think we should speak to and what should be the topic, Nira? I think it would be a good idea to actually have the regulator 
and a big tech company like a Facebook or a Google uh, and a telecom operator. I mean, have the regulators and those that are on the side of financial services, but very much part of the ecosystem. And let's not forget MasterCard. We have to be fair. Yeah, Visa and MasterCard. That would be good. Maybe they'll actually join if they are, you know, the, they can show who is doing the most, uh, for instance. Well, yeah, I'll try to book those in. So I think the MasterCard uh, Visa thing is interesting because I spoke to someone yesterday who was quite frustrated that there are so many, they send in blacklists and blacklists, but they just never hear anything and it's not being shut out from the payments network by Visa and MasterCard. That's interesting. I'd like to know more about that scenario. But when it comes to consumer protection, we will see that on the card scheme side, they are far better than on the bank side. But... That brings this spin of the laundry to an end. Veronica and Nira, thank you both so much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and connect with you? Well, for me particularly, they can always go on LinkedIn or follow uh, follow me on Twitter. Always delighted to make new connections. Yeah, well, you can find me on LinkedIn at Veronica M. Glab, or you can connect with us at connect at innovatefinance.com if you have any questions for us. Money makes a world go round. Money makes a world go round. Money makes a money makes a it makes a world go round. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to go check out the back catalog and follow the laundry on your podcast platform of choice or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please also leave us a review. To get in touch with the Laundry team, you can comment on the Strize LinkedIn page or email laundry at strize.ai or send me an email at marit at strize.ai. Your host for this episode was me, Marit. Our producer was Matthew Dunmiles. Our engineers were Dominic Dallargy and Nicholas Thon. The Laundry is proudly produced by Strize, an AML intelligence system. Find out more about us at strize.ai. See you next time. Your money make a world go round.